Welcome to the Northeastern Next podcast, your channel for the latest alumni stories in Boston and beyond. In this show, we'll catch up with Northeastern alumni who are out there achieving what's next. When he was 11, Jonathan Ullman dreamed of playing drums with Pearl Jam. Fast forward to today, he's played on hundreds of records, live shows around the world, and is making a music career a reality. Hi, Jonathan. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. I'm very excited to be here. So... First thing I want to ask you, you are a professional musician. Mm -hmm. When people ask, how do you make a living, what do you tell them? So making a living at playing music is is pretty tricky. Uh, even even at the highest level, I, at levels, I have friends who are at the highest levels. They always need to sort of find, you know, alternative means of, of income because when a tour is over, you know, the money is not coming in and, and not a lot of musicians are on retainer from a big artist, so they have to find somebody else, something else to do. So I do make a great living as a musician, as a, as a session drummer, but I also work at Berklee College of Music, and that sort of fulfills the, the medical benefits and the 401k and all the important adult stuff that you need in, in life. But because it's a school of music, they're very flexible with, hey, do you need to go on tour? Because they want their staff to be successful musicians as well. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. I get to work at a school of music, be a part of that, and on the other side, make a living as a, as a drummer as well. Great. So what is a session drummer? So a session drummer or a session musician is, in effect, someone who's hired to play a role. A lot of times, artists don't have permanent bands, so they will hire somebody to fulfill the piece that they're missing. So I'd be hired to play the drums, maybe the percussion, you know, and a guitarist or a bass player will be hired to do that as well. So you're you're kind of like a hired person to fulfill a certain piece to the puzzle. And it seems like in Boston, that's not a it's not a huge aspect of the music industry here, whereas if you're in Nashville or Los Angeles or even New York, that's that's a lot more prominent. But there are niche markets in Boston where people are like, I don't have a band, so I need to hire the pieces to you know make my record or play this gig. And so it seems like you have to be very versatile and kind of malleable to fit what those different roles. When you started your music career, did you want to be more of in the forefront? Is that a drummer's world? Or how did you kind of fall into this and being good at it? <laughs> so if we're going to go way back, the drums for me, and, and you know, without going into anything psychological about it, <laughs> but it's very therapeutic for me. So that sort of repetitive playing something that kind of repeats itself over and out, over is very therapeutic for me. So um, playing drums is is something that I would do regardless if it was successful or not. So it's not about being in the front. And as a drummer, your role is to kind of keep time mm -hmm. for everyone else. So I don't mind being in the back. There's a lot of times where I'll get off stage and somebody would be like, oh, did you see the show? It's like, yeah, it was I was up there. <laughs> the lights may not have been, you know, back there. And that's totally fine. I like it. You know, for me, it's really enjoyable to be up there to look around and see that everyone's sort of in time and we're all having fun. Um, but yes, you do need to be versatile, but you don't need to be a master in all genres. You just kind of need to have a good understanding of 
you know, what the patterns or the beats or the grooves for those genres are. So, and I like that because if I played the same style of music all the time, for me, that would get a little monotonous. And so I do like the the diversity of playing a lot of different genres. And um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your career path and your time at Northeastern and how you, how you got where you are today. Sure. So uh, I went to Boston Latin. So I've been in Boston my whole life. And I didn't really know. I think when I first came to Northeastern, I was like, I want to be a consultant. I want to go into businesses, find out what's going wrong with them and fix it. And I want to wear a suit every day and all that stuff. I think within like 26 hours of me being (laughs) there, I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I did have a communicate. I got a communications degree because I thought whatever I do in my life as a career, having an understanding of how to communicate with people is going to be very important, whether it's an interpersonal relationship or sort of selling something. So it was sort of like a communications and marketing degree. And that was great. And I went off and I did a lot of marketing jobs when I graduated college. And when I came back to get my grad degree, at that point, I was I knew what I was doing. I was going to be a musician. And being a musician in this current culture of social media and all that stuff is you have to be really good at selling yourself because there is a lot of people who are doing the exact same thing as you. So I came back to Northeastern and got a degree in digital media because that was, everything was online at that point. Um, So understanding how to communicate what I was selling, how to market what I was selling and how to present it in a really attractive uh, format on all the platforms was something that I thought was really going to be valuable. And I think it was. And I, I, it's weird to think that, you know, you go back to school for your MBA, so you want to be in business. Mm-hmm. Or you go back to school to get your doctorate or your or your law degree or something. Like, you know what you're going to do. Mm-hmm. But I was going back to school to find out how to market this weird playing, hey, I'm a drummer. Do you need mm-hmm. me? How many people need a drummer? Not that many. So... But if I can do it in a really creative and attractive format, then even if you don't need a drummer, you can be like, I don't need a drummer, but I always see this kid doing stuff that's really cool, and I have a friend who needs a drummer, so I'm going to make that work. So it's like, it's a very strange way to market something, but it's a product. You want to sell something to somebody. Even if they don't need it, you want them to want it regardless. Yeah, it's like your personal brand that you're building. So you're top of mind and you're a very in-demand session musician because of it. Yeah. What would you say is is your brand? How how are you setting yourself apart? So... You probably aren't super familiar with the drumming community in the uh, on the world, but it's a very competitive community. Uh, everyone's putting out videos of doing incredible drumming uh, stuff, and and I don't, you know, I don't do that. So you, you kind of have to think outside the box a little bit. And I have a minor in photography, and then I got my master's in digital photography. So. I'm very good at presenting a very attractive product. I can make it look really, really aesthetically pleasing. Even if you aren't a drummer or don't care for drums, you're like, I like this, this these pictures that this guy's putting up. So I thought, might as well just go out there and make it look and present what I do in a very attractive format. And so I don't have a huge beard right now, but at some at one point I had a huge beard. So I so at I noticed that people were like, oh, it's Jonathan. He's got the huge beard. So in a weird way, you do have to go, okay, is that what people reckon? Is that what people associate me with 
in tour, and so that's if you can get it in your mind. It's like when you get a jingle cut mm-hmm. in your brain, and you can't. So you don't may or may not need new windows, but you have the one eight hundred giant you know yeah. song in your in your head. For me, it was like I don't need a drummer, but I always know that kid with the beard is a drummer, and he's doing really cool things. Mm-hmm. So. You kind of take aspects that you think people are gravitating towards. So if it's a visual thing, you market the visual aspect of that. If if it's um, I'm playing in arenas every night, then you say, all right, look it, I'm at the highest level. Or if I'm in the studio all that that time, all the time, you you want to present that. So you you're taking the points that are, especially on social media, you can pick and choose what how you how you put stuff out into mm-hmm. the world. So I can. I could make it look like I was playing in arenas every single night all around the world because I have enough pictures mm-hmm. to do that. And people would just assume, wow, this guy's traveling all the world and I could be sitting on my couch and doing it. Mm-hmm. But so you, for me, it was like I have friends that do that. I have friends that post pictures of them playing in arenas all over the world. And it's cool. But that's all they have. Mm-hmm. For me, I was like, you know what? Why don't I present all of the cool things that I'm doing that are associated with playing the drums? I'm doing a podcast this morning. Mm-hmm. After this, I'm, go- I'm going right to the studio to make a record. After that, I got to go speak to a, a marketing class, you know, at Emerson. So it's like for an entire day, you get to see the life of how drums play a role, uh, you know, in my day to day. So if you can take all that and present it in a really attractive format, then I think people will start to recognize like, whoa, this kid's doing something that he really loves to do. And every day is different. So mm-hmm. I want to follow his journey kind of thing. So it's also very authentic in that way. Yeah. And I think besides, you know, your drumming speaking for itself, but to get to know your personality through those channels mm-hmm. and either they get to hear your voice or I think it goes a long way when people are, if you're more top of mind and yeah. like think of drumming, like, oh, I think of Jonathan. Yeah. Well, and the other thing is it's like, I'm not asking somebody to buy something. I'm not asking them to stop what they're doing and come to a show. I'm just presenting it to mm-hmm. them. If they want to follow it, they can. If not, and I think that's the the fine line between marketing and selling is you don't you, you don't want to force it on somebody, you know, and then they get turned off and they're like, oh, I don't want what you're selling. But if you're like, hey, I'm just going to let you know about my mm-hmm. life and what I'm doing. And if you, if you want to follow it, great. Mm-hmm. If not, Come back in a week and and check back in. And I think that taking that pressure off, but still putting it out there that, hey, if without telling those people, if ever an opportunity comes around and you meet somebody who's like, man, I'm really looking for a drummer in the Boston area, be like, you know what? Go hit Jonathan. That that guy's doing all all sorts of stuff. Mm -hmm. That happens. And it doesn't it doesn't happen all the time. But if if there are a thousand people that you're marketing this to or 10,000 people, eventually that's how networks work. You know, that we're so connected as a world right now. I mean, it to think that you're only three people away from a celebrity that you're that you that you've never met or that you admire, you know, there are people that I admire and it's like I know one person who can literally go say to that person, "Hey, you should check out Jonathan." Mm-hmm. I don't do that. But that's really weird. But that's how how connected this world is. It's true. It is all about connection because I truthfully, I've known your name actually for a few years because you've been so connected to our office. Mm. And whether it's, 
you were sharing with us that you won the Session Musician of the Year for a few years in a row, yeah. right? Or that you're meeting with a colleague of mine and you're very connected with the alumni group. When you had a meeting with Bethany and, and she was like, oh, you should consider Jonathan for the podcast. I was like, oh, yeah, no brainer. I remember I the, awesome. the messages and I remember people speaking highly of and that's really all about the that, networking. Yeah, connection. And, and especially with annual alumni. The One of the things is if somebody in your community maybe in the music industry. And they may be inclined to be like, you know what? I'm looking for somebody, but this person actually went to my alma mater. I believe in my alma I love Northeastern. I'd love to hire another Husky for something. So you've also brought the world a lot closer. And and by allowing me to come in and tell my story, I get, I'm open to your network and vice versa. I put it out in the world that I'm super engaged with Northeastern alumni. And then there could be people that I went to school with, like who graduated with me who were like, oh, shoot, this is, I should get involved with Northeastern alumni. So it's, mm-hmm. it's a very cyclical, beneficial for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I think I even, um, I had Bethany uh, speak with somebody that I had met who got her MBA and does really cool things in Boston. And now they're talking mm-hmm. and I, and it's like, it, it paid for it as, you know, as many times as you can. Absolutely. And so I had hinted at this, but tell me a little bit about what it was like to win the Session Musician of the Year at the Boston Music Awards. I mean, that was pretty surreal. And, and, and I've been, one of the cool things, and I'm very, very grateful, is I've been recognized on an international level. So I've been nominated for awards in the UK, and that kind of puts you on the map as like, whoa, this person from Boston is not just this local person. Mm-hmm. But the, the Boston Music Awards, this is where I sort of cut my teeth and got started. So it's there's a lot more personal feelings towards being recognized by your peers in the city that you that you sort of started and continue to build your career. So in 2016, when I was nominated, it was like, whoa, you know, this is unbelievable. Just the nomination is is crazy because I you never know who's paying attention or if you've or if you people think positive of you. Then I won that one, and it was like this. This is it. I can't believe you know that this is happening. And and things sort of domino affected, and I got really busy. And then I became sort of the guy in Boston. If you need drums on something, that you you would call me. I mean, there's other people, but you know, if there's only a handful, maybe ten or fifteen or even five drummers in the city, you know, you kind of your name kind of gets passed around, you know, a lot. So whereas if you were in Nashville, you're one of thousands and thousands of people who are doing that same thing so then to be recognized for the following two years and winning it then again it kind of reinforces that I'm doing the right thing and it's it's very meaningful for me because I'm I never wanted to move to LA I never wanted to move to Nashville I mean I go to LA to record records a lot or I go to Nashville to record records um but this is my home Mm -hmm. so I'm gonna stay here this is like and as long as I'm here, I want to make sure that, that my name is synonymous with what I do. Great. And do you have any life goals or dreams of playing with certain artists? Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, and that question uh, gets asked a lot because I think a sto- my story has made it its way around. But when I first started to play drums i i learned uh, i stole my brother's like hip-hop records and i would play to those and it was it was awesome it was a great way to learn to play drums because those drum patterns for hip-hop are very uh repetitive so it was a great way to learn to play drums and get limb independent but then it was 1990 and or 91 jeez i think it was 91 but pearl jams 10 had come out 
And that was kind of like the moment where I, I had realized what is this grunge music? <laughs> I need to, you know, follow this path. And so I got so enamored by Pearl Jam and that record. And so I learned that record from front to back. Like first song, as soon as it kicks in, I learned all those drum patterns because and I think I was 11 or 12 when that came out. And uh, and I was sure like that someday I would be at a concert and the drummer wouldn't show up, <laughs> which would never happen because like they would have been on tour. So the drummer would have had him and they just didn't show up for this one gig. And I was in the audience and and Andy Vedder was like oh my God, we need somebody. And then I would raise my hand and he would call me and I would do it. And uh, those were like, you know, that's what you dream about when you're 11 or 12 and you hang posters all mm-hmm. over your wall and kind of stuff like that. And so I I did meet Eddie Vedder and I did, I have told him that story and he was really <laughs> gracious. Um, but, you know, so the in my, my childhood dream is still my adult dream where someday I'll get to be on stage and I'll get to play a song with, with, Eddie Vedder or Pearl Jam. Even, you know, I've I've actually like downsized the dream. It doesn't have to be arenas, even if they were like a practice space, <laughs> and and I could just sit in and play. That would fulfill like pretty much. That would make that would make everything come full circle and just be like, wow, I did actually do that. So, and the funny thing is, like in my world, like it wouldn't take too many people to ask to get to Eddie Vedder and tell, have that story told because. I'm part of a roster with Pearl Jam's drummer and, and, you know, the community becomes very small at some point, um, but it would have to happen organically. It mm-hmm. couldn't be like, hey, we're calling in a favor. Can Jonathan mm-hmm. come sit with you kind of thing? It would have to be like they heard the story or something like that. And that they you. Yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you play on records and shows and teach. Do What's your favorite thing to do i'm sure you like the variety but when do you feel like you're most yourself um i feel like for me the most important so when you look back in your career when you look back at your legacy um if i was a musician and this isn't the same for everybody a lot of people like oh i would have wanted to see the world and that's great i would have wanted to play in front of hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people totally cool um, for me, my legacy is the, all the albums that I played on. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like if you're a painter, your career is, you know, as you look through all your paintings, how you progress, what, where you were when this certain piece, you know, the blue period or something like, you know, so, so that's sort of your legacy. When you look back and see, what have I accomplished? Where did I start and where did I finish? Um, and for me, it's, it would be for albums. So. I love being on people's records. I want people to look back at my career and be like, look at all the records he played on. So I, nine out of 10 times, if if somebody's going to ask me, would you rather play live all over the world or would you rather play on in the studio and be on records? I want both. I want a balance of both, but I would really want to play on lots and lots of records. Live shows tend to, when you look back, and I've played all around the world and I played hundreds and hundreds of shows in front of lots and lots of people um when you look back it all kind of gets jumbled together Mm -hmm. it's like yeah i do remember that show but i'm i can really remember where i was when somebody's like all right we're gonna lay down this this song right here i can remember my mindset i can remember trying to figure out the drum patterns for it so that's for me and plus you know as i get older being away from home for you know, six 
to nine months of the year touring is not it's not ideal it's it's a lot it's a lot on your family and it's stuff like that granted if pearl jam came calling and we're like (laughs) we're going on the road for a year and a half i would i would kiss my wife and daughter and be like i'll see you in a year i'm going to play with pearl jam and they would be like great see you later bring them with you yeah bring them exactly so like it's it's not that it wouldn't happen but you know if somebody's like hey you want to Travel through Europe and sleep on floors, hopefully make some money and travel in a van for a month. I'd probably be like, I'm going to stay here and, and play some play on records and play lo- shows around Boston and New York and stuff like that. You know, that's just because I'm and getting older and sleeping on floors aren't appealing to me. Built up your career to like give yourself that right. luxury so to not, choose. Yeah, and yeah. So, so there are certain amenities that make it make it attractive for me to, to do that. But my legacy is you know, going through my catalog and being like, wow, look at, I'll listen to the first record I did and be like, geez, I was still learning because I wouldn't have done those same patterns now. But I love thinking about that. Like, where was I when I came up with that idea? I probably was super giddy that this was the first record that I, that I like played on. So it's a cool way to look back on your career and see where you've been and where you've come and how far along you've come. Definitely. And hearing you talk about that, I know a lot of people listening I'm sure I'll find this really interesting because they're not in the music world, but I think what makes a successful drummer might also translate to other careers. And I'm curious, how do you try to improve and stay ahead of the curve and keep working on your craft? So I think that the art of hustling is you across the board, everybody can do it. Everybody's going to, if you're good at hustling and you're good at putting yourself out there in a, in a very successful way, then that translates across all industries. And even when you've made it and you're successful, you're always thinking of what's next or, or how do I tap into another market? So for me, you know, outside of practicing and making sure that if there's a genre that I'm very weak in, that I make sure that I'm you know, I practice that to get to get better so that I'm not in a studio situation where I'm like, I, I don't know how to do that. I don't never want to be caught there. So outside of the practicing the craft, um, it's about it's about thinking of ways to always improve how to put yourself out there. So one of the things that I'm that I'm always talking about is I get in a lot of drum magazines, which is awesome. It, and I'm very honored to be recognized by drum magazines for what I do. But drummers read drum magazines. So, <laughs> it you know, they're not going to be like, wow, I saw Jonathan. I'm going to recommend him for a gig. It's like, no, you're probably going to recommend yourself mm-hmm. for the gig. So one way for me to think about it, and a lot of people are like, well, would it, what would you like to be in? And be like, I would want to be in Home and Garden magazine. Because if somebody's flipping through Home and Garden, they're like, why is there a story about a drummer? I'm going to read this. This is very intriguing to me. And all of a sudden, you hit an entire new audience of people who may or may not ever know who you are, but it's because you're, you've put yourself in a situation to be a part of a magazine that has nothing to do with drums. And that's just a, an example of thinking differently or how to tap into an audience that may or may not ever hear of you. And so that, I think, translates to all industries. Like, the more people that know about who you are and what you do and what product you're selling, the better you are at maybe getting your name passed around. So there's ways of thinking outside the box. And rather than um, be like, all right, here's exactly what I have to do because this is what everybody does, you can be like, well, I'm going to do it this way. And, you know, we live in a, in a uh, sort of a 
current situation where where things can happen very quickly. So outside of all those think outside the box things, you also have to be prepared a lot quicker to to show what you can do if somebody wants you to show at a moment's notice. So making sure that you're confident. I've always said to me, it's like I've been doing this for well over 20 years and I'm still waiting for my big break. I'm still waiting for Adele to call and <laughs> stuff like that or or Paul McCartney or something like that. I'm still waiting. And when that does happen, because it's not a if it's going to happen, I'm just it's always going to be when it happens that I'm going to be ready. So the entire time leading up to that point, I should be refining and retweaking what I do so that the moment I step on stage, it's not. But I mean, you may have butterflies, but. Right away, the muscle memory and the confidence kicks in that I can handle this situation. Whereas we live in a time where overnight success, celebrity, and overnight things happen very quickly. You go from never playing a gig to being on the world stage and everybody wants to hear you. Well, those people then on the world stage have to try and figure out how to do what they're doing. I like the fact that I can step into any situation right now and be like, yeah, I'm ready. I've been preparing for this moment my whole life, that that thing that everybody says. So I put myself out there to be a very, think outside the box and, and be very productive about trying to get my name in the hands of, in, in the ears and the eyes of people in across all industries. But in the meantime, I'm making sure that my craft playing drums is polished and it's ready to go at a moment's notice. And I think you can do that, you know, when you get that one interview that you've been hoping for your whole life, you should be ready to it should already be in your head that you already you've already played that that interview out in your head a thousand times so when you walk in you can walk out and be like i crushed that i love that because i think a lot of times people are thinking about the long game of their career what is that dream job they want to end up in and sometimes i've had conversations with people and they have such a focus on what that is that they're not really focusing on the day-to-day also and they have to go hand in hand to your point where you're trying to you know crush your goals now like the next day or deadline that day or even if you're not in like your favorite positions it could be better but there are always aspects you can be working on Mm -hmm. now Mm -hmm. that are going to propel you into that next role when when it comes about and those these not great jobs or not great gigs or i mean they're all learning experiences Mm -hmm. so if you can go in every day and be like, well, I don't love I don't love what I'm doing right now, but I'm very, very good at it. And I'm taking away all of the aspects that I need to. No, you don't have to stay there. So when you're ready to do the next thing, you take all that information mm-hmm. and all those skill sets that you learned and you apply it to the next. I mean, that's what that's what growing up and learning you know, how to be a professional is all about is taking the experiences and applying them to the next to you know in the next phase of your life and the same with drums it's like imagine i get my chance and i'm not ready for it that's your opportunity completely wasted because i spent so much time just blinders on being like that's what i want so when it comes i didn't work on anything Mm -hmm. in the meantime you know so i think that it applies to anybody who has dreams or aspirations is that you're constantly taking what you can with each step until you get to the point where you 
where you finally made it. And even when you get there, I mean, when I was 12 years old, I made a list. I still have the list and nobody's ever seen it. <laughs> and it has all these little boxes and it's right next to it. It's like, when I accomplish that, I can check it off. And my list is still like has a tons of empty check boxes. And these are like 12 year old <laughs> things. So they're, they're so silly. Like one of them was like, I would love to play the paradise in Boston. You know, mm-hmm. what kind of dream is that? But for me, it was like, that's where all of my favorite bands are playing. Mm-hmm. Then I played the paradise and I remember going in the back when nobody was around <laughs> and I was in my twenties and I checked it off and it was like, Oh my God. But that was those Goals that I had back then are way different than than the ones that I have now, but I still want to check off all of those boxes because that's what keeps me going. And then each time I check off a box, I make a new box mm-hmm. of something else I want to do. So even if I did play with Pearl Jam in a rehearsal space and I'll be like, that's it. I did it. I'm going to be like, no, now I want to go on tour with them. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? So like, you then you go to the next point. And that's, I think that's what having a fulfilled life is constantly... Re, re applying yourself to to keep getting further and further and further i mean there should never be a well i made it now mm-hmm. i'm going to do something else it should never be like that that's very inspiring i love that <laughs> and because this is the northeastern next podcast we like to ask what's next for you what are you working on and what's coming up so summer is spent a lot of time in the studio so there's going to be a lot of records coming out in the fall which is great so my next is always to keep trying to get those check off those boxes mm-hmm. and and always do that but for me every year right around december is i i look back at my year and then i try and figure out how do i make the next year just a little bit better and, and i don't know what it is that will make it better but that's sort of the goal is that you never sort of go backwards but that each year is a little bit better so for me it would be like all right i'm recognized in boston i'm recognized I've been nominated, you know, on an international level. So maybe the next year I try to get the actual award mm-hmm. for for that. Or or maybe I played on 25 records this year. I'm going to try to play on 30 next year. So each year resetting a, a goal. And that's just on the drum, you know, the drumming side. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously my next is always to be, I have a three-year-old daughter. It's like, be a good dad. <laughs> yeah. Get become patient with a toddler, you know, that kind of stuff. Be a good husband, do normal, the domestic stuff and be a good person and stuff like that. So it's always about making sure that you make the next year better in a full circle kind of way as a person, partner, and as a musician, maybe, you know, try and move myself up in the ranks at Berkeley or something like that. So there's always something that can be worked on. You don't have to achieve them all, but if one of them... If you weren't able to do that the year before and you're able to do it, you know, the next year, then that I think that's a successful year. So what's next for me is hoping that Eddie Vedder's listening to mm-hmm. the podcast right now. I think which he I might think be he a might, Yeah, if he's in Seattle, so maybe he's up early drinking coffee. Yes. I just always assume he's, like, reading about me in mm-hmm. magazines and be like, I'm going to make this kid wait and sweat it out, but I already know. He knows. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> Come, It'll be like Wembley Stadium. And it'll all come to fruition. Mm-hmm. So you heard it here. First. <laughs> I feel like every podcast that I've ever done, when we talk about Eddie Vedder, it's like, you heard it here first. And they're like, yeah, we heard it here first. And that was four years ago and still hasn't <laughs> happened. <laughs> well, this time it will. Yeah. 
Great. Well, thank you so much, Jonathan, for coming in and yeah. talking to us today. Look forward to seeing where, where you go next. Can't wait. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening. We are now back with new episodes released every other Tuesday. You can connect with Jonathan on Twitter and Instagram at jmudrums or his website, jonathanullman.com. After three back-to-back wins in the category, Jonathan is nominated again for Session Musician of the Year. Voting is open at bostonmusicawards.com vote. This is Megan Kirkbrisson from the Office of Alumni Relations. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and I'll talk to you soon.